You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. <laughs> It's Friday, August 28th, 2020, just after market close in New York. This is the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I'm Ash Bennington, joined shortly by Ed Harrison. But first, Real Vision editorial team's newest member, Haley Drasnan. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing, Haley. Thanks so much for having me on the Daily Briefing, Ash. I'm super excited to be part of the Real Vision team. Well, we're happy to have you here. Tell us a little bit about how you found Real Vision. Sure. So I've been in the journalism field for the last nine years, you know, keeping my eye on markets and uh, profiling CEOs and executives and leaders and entrepreneurs. And I came across Real Vision in my research and prep over the years, um, you know, the thoughtful conversations, in-depth analysis and the community that you've built, uh, you know, covering financial markets and, you know, what, uh, what inspires investors. Yeah. So, Haley, let's just dive right in. What stories are you looking at right now? So right now, you know, I'm, I'm keeping my eye on uh, what's making TikTok tick, right? Walmart now jumping into the ring, possibly partnering with Microsoft for a potential purchase of uh, TikTok's U.S. operations. Um, you know, why? Uh, I'm, I'm keeping my eye on um, consumer spending. You know, we're seeing um, some gains uh, this July now. Uh, however, you know, uh, we're also seeing uh, consumer confidence tumbling, so um, what's going on there? And uh, a big question mark on um, what the coming months will look like, given the hit to personal income uh, nationwide and the loss of those you know, $600 weekly unemployment benefit checks. Um, also keeping my eye on the European Central Bank, you know, the, sh- the Fed's shift in policy yesterday to aim for periods of inflation averaging 2% over time will now put some heat on ECB. So uh, those are those are some stories top of mind that uh, that, you know, that I'm focusing on. Also, Tesla Monday trading on a split adjusted basis will go into effect. You know, earlier this month when the company unveiled plans for the split, the shares jumped, you know, more than 60 percent. So uh, so uh, that's something for us to, to keep an eye on, too. Sounds like you've got your eye on a lot. I think you're going to be a great fit here. Cool. I'm excited to be here. So what do you say? Rapid fire speed round through your first uh, RVDB appearance? Let's do it. All right, let's hit it. So first question, what do you think of the U.S. dollar? So global central banks are deflating the value of fiat currencies, but the U.S. dollar, I think, will keep its status as the world's reserve currency for the foreseeable future. Good to know that gas prices won't be going to 12 bucks a gallon. Thoughts on crypto? Bullish on Bitcoin is gold 2.0. Thoughts on gold (laughs) 1.0. Old school inflation hedge. Uh, it should continue to go up in the short run, but may lose market share to Bitcoin, I think. Outlook on U.S. equity markets. Up, up, up. There's nowhere for investors to put capital with rates near zero. Okay, what are you reading this summer? Um, I'm reading The Blue Sweater by Jacqueline Novogratz, the CEO of Acumen. Uh, she's actually also happens to be our, our buddy Mike Novogratz's sister. And she uh, recounts her, her incredible journey uh, leaving Wall Street and, um, you know, uh, becoming uh, a social entrepreneur and um, launching a microfinance bank in Rwanda. So Kindle or hard copy? How are you reading this? 
Kindle, for sure. It's a digital age, man. Nice. End of that point. Final question. Cable or cut the cord? Cut, cut, cut. Real Vision, I think, is the future of media. Hallie, it sounds like you're going to be a great fit here. Looking forward to seeing you more on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. And now, let's jump to the main segment with Ed Harrison. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Welcome, Ed. Thank you, and happy Friday to you. Ah, thank you indeed. You know, I know you haven't had a chance to see the segment yet, but I just did the intro with uh, with Haley, uh, the latest uh, or newest addition to the Real Vision Daily Briefing team. Uh, I think she's going to crush it here. She's totally geeked out on all the stuff we've been talking about. She's been here for like two days. It's going to be a perfect fit. Yeah, I'm really excited to see that. I'm glad that uh, you had the chance to introduce her to everyone and uh, hope to see a lot more on the platform with her. Yeah, absolutely. So I've got a story to tell you that I've been holding off telling you all day. Oh, I'm yeah. Okay, I great. You, That's good. I want to tell you on air. Excellent. So, uh, I, oh, I think I, I know, but I don't know the punchline. I know there were some scary parts to it, but tell me about yeah. it. Yeah. So so last night around nine o'clock, I'm sitting around and I'm messaging back and forth with Rao because I've just watched the, the show with Tommy Thornton that I did yesterday. Tommy's great. He's got great insights, exactly as you'd expect. And I'm watching the show and I'm messaging with Rao and I'm telling him like, I... I don't know, man. I feel like I was really like low energy today. Like, I just feel like I wasn't myself. I was like off my game. Ron's like, no, it's fine. It's fine. Don't worry about it. So I, I put the phone down. I'm like, maybe I'm just hungry. I gotta go out and get something to eat. So I go down to the local bodega, buy a bunch of food, come home, like bags in hand, key in the lock, open the door. As soon as I open the door, it's like smell of gas hits me in the face, like really, really powerful. I'm like, this is clearly not good. I've been in the apartment all day. So I come in, I call Con Ed, that's the gas company here. Like 10 minutes later, fire department shows up, the gas guys come up, the building people, the supers here. It's like a whole scene. Long story short, my next door neighbor went away. We don't really know, a couple of days, we have no idea. And they left the gas on. Wow. So I'd literally been huffing methane all day. <laughs> no <laughs> idea, because I haven't left the apartment, right? I just like feel sick, I feel terrible. But like, here's the moral of the story. This is what it got me thinking about, right? So the you're alive. <laughs> I am alive, which is good news. And like now I know why people were telling me that I needed to take a vacation in the comments because apparently I looked horrific. So so this is what I'm thinking, right? The fire department literally shows up with axes in hand, right? These guys are ready to cut me out of the rubble. They're ready to dive into the flames. The gas company was brilliant. The building handled it perfectly. Just wonderful all around. So this is the deal with living in cities, Ed. All it takes is one knucklehead to go away for the weekend and leave the gas on and you can totally cause chaos. That's the trade. That's why people are escaping cities because right. when there are problems, it just takes like literally, you think about it, you pack one and a half million people on an island, all it takes is a couple. Yeah, very good story. You know, and a good lead into how I'm thinking about things right now because I think I, I, was, I was telling you earlier that when I wanted to talk to you today, uh, it's about, you know, every quarter we do these content campaigns at uh, wow. Real Vision. And the question is, is what the hell are we going to talk about? Like, what do viewers want to hear us uh, discuss? What's on their mind? And, you know, it, it, with broad strokes, it's the kind of things that you're talking about. To me, 
the question is, uh, is this new normal going to last or, or something like that? The, is, is this the new normal that we're living in right now? And, and you can put that across a, a ton of different things. The new normal in terms of uh, public transportation, because I know that you're not on public transport a whole lot. The new normal in terms of restaurants, the new normal in terms of travel, the new normal in terms of the bifurcation that we always talk about. I mean, that's the word du jour, bifurcation with technology stocks ripping and you know bank stocks and, and industrials not doing well. So what I'd like to hear, and, and you know, I have a whole spiel today about how I'm thinking about it. What I'd like to hear is what the uh, real vision viewers want to hear about in terms of the new normal, about what's going on in markets, in the economy right now. Yeah. And here's a menu of some items that we talked about earlier. The pandemic, residential real estate, commercial real estate, capital markets, broader economies. How permanent are these changes that we're experiencing right now? And most important, perhaps, are they priced into markets? Are they priced in? Yeah, that's the biggest thing for me. Because the thing is, is, is that, uh, yeah, you can say that there's been this bifurcation, but maybe, uh, you know, it all hasn't been priced in, in one direction or the other. Uh, I'd love to hear people talk to that and tell me why or why not uh, uh, in terms of it's being priced in. Yeah, very well said. So, Ed, what else are you looking at today? Yeah, so you know, I wrote on. Uh, you haven't seen it because I, I wrote it like uh, an hour or two ago on credit write downs about this in terms of how I'm framing it from a macro perspective. Uh, and so what I'm looking at is I'm looking at sort of the data that's coming out showing that we're doing the uh, the reverse uh, uh, square root, the reverse uh, uh, radical uh, sort of thing. The data that came out today that Haley was talking about in terms of consumption was kind of weak. If you looked at those numbers, if you look at the consumption numbers for the downtick in consumption and then the uptick, you know, it's uh, May, June, July, and it goes down. Or for the people who are watching, since I'm from the other uh, uh, side, it goes down like that. So we're only getting like 1% growth on consumption now. That's not going to do it in terms of a V-shaped recovery. And when you are in the midst now of what uh, I would call the fiscal cliff, what does that mean for August, September, and October going forward, the data that we're yet to see? And for a market that, uh, be, you know, when you're still printing 800,000 to, to a million initial jobless claims and you're getting weak data like that, for a market that's trading at 25, 26 times earnings and is still ripping, what does it take? Seriously, what does it take from the real economy to dent that market? Yeah, I just hope we don't see whatever it takes to dent that market. You're making me fearful here, Ed. It's 2020. <laughs> I, I mean, it could be like a, like a horde of dragons coming across the uh, East River from my apartment. I don't know. Well, you know, if if you're fearful here, I have something for you that's pretty funny, actually. Um, uh, there's a video that uh, that I retweeted earlier today that was on uh, Twitter. Maybe we can put that video up so that people can see it in the background. Uh, I, I thought it was pretty, uh, pretty uh, amazing. You know, it's, it's just some guy trying to learn how to uh, boogie board or whatever. And, um, and someone put up the, uh, that he was a, a retail investor and he was just totally wiping out. And I, I, I've watched this video like eight times because it's just hilarious, the, the little monikers they have. But when I put it up, 
uh, people were replying to me. One guy, Nathan Lee, he he replied, Edward N.H. trying to teach Ash Bennington about soccer. And (laughs) that got like seven, uh, seven likes. Uh, So if you see the video, that that's you, Ash. And I can assure you, if that's me talking about soccer, I would have never stood up on the board in the first place. (laughs) Never gotten vertical. So, Ash, tell me what are you, what are you looking at in terms of the the data flows and, uh, and and what's going on that we can talk about today as the weekend comes to a close or the the week comes to a close. You know, the Dow closed out at twenty eight six fifty three today, wiped out uh, the year's losses. It had been a laggard, obviously, from uh, from the S and P and certainly from the Nasdaq, but now wiped out the day's losses. S and P closes over the thirty five handle thirty five oh eight. So once again, as we say, second verse, same as the first, up, 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 a sea of green on everything on my screen, except for the VIX, down uh, 6%, percent one and a half points on the day to 2296. Uh, you know, in terms of the more of the deep dive story front, I was looking at uh, the story, Greg Ip for the, for the, for the Wall Street Journal, uh, one of the great economics reporters working today and covering the Fed, uh, and was talking about the context of what Jay Powell said yesterday. And there are a couple quotes here that I think are worth reading in their entirety. This is, of course, talking about average inflation targeting, the idea that the Fed is going to target an average rate, which means in in practice that they're going to allow the economy uh, to run hot for a while to compensate for all of the period uh, during which it, uh, the, the, uh, the PCE inflation rate was not at their target of 2%. So here's the quote from Greg Ed. The practical significance is small, with inflation already below the 2% target and unemployment above 10%. Interest rates were going to stay near zero for some years to come. That hasn't changed, but it's an important institutional and philosophical shift. Like other pivots over the bank's 107-year history, this one comes in response to a changed world. It goes on to say, the new framework replaces deviations with shortfalls. And this for me is the killer. Implying unemployment can be too high, but never too low, right? That is the core of everything we've been talking about there and whatever it is, half a dozen words, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, there, there are two parts to that. And, you know, part of it, it is kind of scary, but I mean, uh, the, the, the one part is getting rid of the Phillips curve. And we're going to talk about that in a second, I'm sure. Uh, The other part is what I would call market monetarism. I thought that was the interesting bit because uh, when he talks about a new framework, that's where he's moving. Um, uh, There are a bunch of guys, Scott Sumner, I think, um, David Beckworth. These are economists. I know them. I've uh, interviewed them before who are monetarists, but they're they're what they call market monetarists. And what they're looking for in terms of this catch up, and this is moving in their direction, is is GDP, uh, nominal GDP averaging. And their whole hobby horse is, is is that if you have shortfalls in nominal GDP growth, uh, then you need to catch up. The, if the line's going up like this and you deviate and you go down from the line, you want to get back to that line. Trend. You're, you want to get back to trend. That's what the, the Fed's doing, but they're only doing it for inflation. And what these guys are saying is, is, is that ultimately inflation's just a, a, a target. It's a replacement for nominal GDP growth. What we really want is we want to have not just um, you know uh, nominal GDP growth that's high, but we want it to be sustainable and at a, a level. And so the Fed should target uh, their monetary policy to keep it on trend 
for a sustained and longer period of time. And that means even if it, if it goes above trend, jack up rates, do whatever to tighten. If it goes below trend, do whatever it takes to bring it back to trend. And their belief is that the, the Fed has the tools to influence nominal GDP growth in that way. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. That's actually going a step further than even Jay Powell did yesterday. If we think about the specific terms of the dual mandate, it's about it's about stable prices and maximum employment. Specifically, GDP is not even targeted as an aggregate for the Fed to target to. That's right. Yeah. And so what the market monitors are saying is, is that, you know, inflation is just a proxy uh, right. in certain ways that get rid of the inflation target, make it a nominal GDP target. That's what you want. You want output to be stabilized. And when I say stabilized, I don't mean off to the races. I mean, trend. There's a trend and, you, and you're and you targeting to go around that trend. And the belief, therefore, is, is that the Fed can actually do that. Now, these guys would consider themselves libertarians. And the reason is, is because what they're saying is we're not using government spending. We're not increasing the, si the size and scope of government to, to get you there. What we're doing is, is we are doing the toggle uh, with monetary policy. Hopefully, it will be interest rates. But we're in a situation now, we're in a bind where it's going to be asset purchases purchases and things of that nature. Yeah. The, the one thing, you know, going back to uh, the Phillips curve that I found that deviates from that uh, is where Jay Powell says that it can, they can never be too low. You yeah. know, I was talking to Kamal Shri uh, uh, Kumar uh, yesterday in terms of RV Live, and he said, you know, th this is bunkum this whole thing about uh, getting rid of the Phillips curve. He says the Phillips curve does exist. If you if you get labor markets that are too tight, you're going to get inflation. Even the MMT people say that if uh, uh, labor markets get tight, then you have inflation. In fact, that's the toggle for the for the um, the uh, society, for the economy. It's inflation. And so what uh, Shri was telling me is that Really, it's because we're not looking at unemployment in the right way. If mm -hmm. you look at the labor participation rate in the economy, uh, it's fallen off a cliff since the let's, great financial crisis. Let's pop that chart up right now so we can see uh, the labor force participation rate Civ part series at the St. Louis Fed FRED database. So, yeah, I mean, in that series, what you would see is that uh, we had a certain labor force participation rate, well above 60, of course, that uh, plummeted in 2008, 2009, and then never came back, and then has plummeted again. And so the, the, the way that you could think about the economy is that when good things happen, when the, when the, the economy is booming, when the labor force is tightening, labor force participation goes up, people enter the workforce, and therefore uh, you should see labor force participation rise, and eventually that will feed through into uh, both higher labor force participation and lower unemployment. So the unemployment rate at 3.5%, which we reached before the pandemic, was a complete mirage, Shri says, that the, the real unemployment rate was a lot higher. And so actually the economy wasn't firing in all cylinders. That's why we didn't have inflation. And that's why when the Fed is trying to target inflation the way that it is, uh, it, it, it wouldn't happen. So, But we'll get there eventually, is what he says. So that's the part where I think Shri and, and also I have some qualms about what the Fed's saying right now. Right. 
So I haven't seen the interview yet with Shreve, but the Cliffs Notes is basically that if the civilian participation rate has fallen dramatically, you're not really looking at the true rate of unemployment when you're just looking at the U3 or even the U6 number, because that's just talking about people who are currently in the labor force. You're basically pulling out all the people who aren't in the labor force and who don't have jobs. Right, exactly. You know, uh, the any of those numbers, U3, U6, U6 being the the broader definition of unemployment and U3 being the one that everyone uh, sees in the newspaper, those aren't complete numbers if you're not taking into account that a lot of people actually aren't even looking for a job because they've been discouraged from doing so because the, uh, the, 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 the prospects of getting one are so low. Right. Yeah. I, I only owe you $500 except for the other 5000 <laughs> Right. Exactly. Yeah, it's basically just netting out all of the data that are contrary to it. And look, we're, we're not being facetious about this. And there are s- substantial reasons why you would want to track those two things independently. Retirees being the most obvious example, people who are uh, you know, on disability, people who are no longer part of the civilian labor force for other reasons, active duty military personnel. There are all of these uh, other reasons why you'd want to bracket it out. But the reality is, look, if, if that number has fallen dramatically, uh, are you really measuring that what you think you're measuring in terms of unemployment. And your answer is we're not. Right. Yeah. I don't think that we are entirely. Shri doesn't think we are entirely. And so therefore, uh, I think that you can't really say with with uh, great certainty that the Phillips curve doesn't have some applicability, though I would say, generally speaking, I don't like the whole Phillips curve uh, mentality, which is, is to say that, you know, the Fed should use uh, a cadre of unemployed people as a toggle to be able to speed up and slow down the economy. Because I mean, basically, what the Phillips curve is saying is is that if the unemployment rate gets too low, yeah, uh, then we, the Fed, we need to jack up rates so that well, some of those people become unemployed. That that's basically what what it says, and that's how the Fed has been acting for a very long period of time. They say that even if inflation is low. Um, and we get to 3.5% unemployment, it used to be 5.5%, they'll say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, Mm. that is too low, and unemployment is too low, inflation will come back, let's preemptively raise interest rates, make some of those people unemployed to make sure that that inflation doesn't get out of control. To me, that is incredibly perverse. And I think what Jay Powell is saying is that it's also perverse, right? But I, I do have some questions about his point that inf- that unemployment can never be too low. I think that it can be too low. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Well, let's let's actually put up the chart. Let's actually show what the Phillips curve is and actually talk it through um, as, as we sort of discuss whether or not it exists or it doesn't. So the bottom line here is if you're looking at this from a 50,000 uh, foot overview, the basic relationship that the Phillips curve describes is that when unemployment goes down, uh, uh, inflation ultimately, eventually, in the intermediate and longer term, rises. Uh, and this kind of makes sense if you think about it, because you have wage push inflation, you have more wage earners out there, you have less slack in the labor force, there's a higher demand for wages, uh, workers have pricing power, and ultimately, inflation rises. So the the thing that has begun to make us question this theory, or at least those who are questioning it, question it, is that unemployment in Japan has been very low for a very long time, uh, and yet inflation 
remains incredibly low, well below the 2% target. And that really is the paradox. It's something we've seen here in the US to a lesser extent. And that is what we've been struggling with. That's what we're thinking about. And those economists who say the Phillips curve is dead, the Phillips curve no longer exists, and we can talk through some of those points, uh, they believe that this relationship simply has broken down uh, for a variety of reasons. And and let me just jump in to follow on the Greg Ip point. So, so Greg Ip goes on to quote Jay Powell directly, and he says uh, that Powell, he's quoting Powell, uh, these changes, quote, may appear subtle, but it reflects our view that a robust job market can be sustained without causing an outbreak of inflation. So basically saying the Phillips curve isn't something that we're worried about any longer. And add a little bit of color to this. There's some great work that's being done uh, by uh, the St. Louis Federal Reserve. Uh, great, I guess, maybe if you believe with the, uh, the with the theory that you find yourself sympathetic to the theory, I should say, that the Phillips curve is broken down. Uh, James Bullard, who is the quote of the St. Louis, uh, who's the uh, who's the chair of the uh, St. Louis Fed, uh, Fed Pre- St. Louis Fed president, I believe is his title, says, quote, and this is in a blog post on the St. Louis Fed Open Vault website, quote, if you put in a murder mystery framework, who killed the Phillips curve? It was the Fed that killed the Phillips curve. The Fed has been much more mindful about targeting inflation in the last 20 years. And he goes on to say that has resulted in lower, more stable inflation in the U.S. So there isn't much of a relationship anymore between labor market performance and inflation. So Bullard going on record as saying that it's the Fed's uh, targeting of inflation that has their successes in effect that have caused the Phillips curve to break down. And experimentally or empirically, if you look at this, what you see when you look at a a scatter plot of the relationship between unemployment uh, and inflation, if you look at that chart back in the 1950s, it's beautiful. It looks exactly like the chart that we just showed. It looks exactly like the theoretical stylized construct of what a Phillips curve should look like. The data follows precisely the theory. If you look at the Phillips curve chart, if you look at the, the data from that chart, meaning unemployment and inflation now, it looks like a bit of a random walk. Yeah. And, you know, I think that Bullard, I'm closer where he is uh, with a lot of caveats. That is, is that uh, the Fed was targeting unemployment, uh, you know, causing people to become unemployed in order to uh, hit an inflation target. Uh, And and by doing so, they hurt ordinary people because the first people to be fired are the people who are the lowest on the totem pole wage earners. And that creates a, a inequality. But the problem with uh, with what Bullard has to say is there are other forces at play as well. You know, one is the decreasing unionization. So obviously wage earners have less power. And yeah. the second in particular is globalization. I mean, if I, as a owner of capital, if I can go and hire a bunch of Chinese people uh, who get a dollar a day to do the same thing that I have to pay my wage earners here in the United States, uh, 10 times or 100 times as much to, to do, then that's going to put downward pressure on the wages of the wage earners here in the United States. And that's that's what's happened. That's, yeah. that's why Trump actually uh, has backing, because people think to themselves, yes, we want these jobs to come back to the United States. That's That's part of his appeal as a politician, is exactly those facts that are hurting the, the, the Phillips curve's uh, correlation to a yeah. past uh, precedents. And there's so many factors at play here, the decline in organized labor, and most prominently, perhaps, technology and globalization. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, there's so many things that that come into play there uh, that you know I wouldn't say that the Fed killed. I think it's a, it's a it's a great turn of phrase. Let's put it that way. In terms yeah. of Bullard, uh, and obviously since he's a Fed guy, uh, he's going to say that. But the thing is, is also going back to what Sri was saying. Remember, there are also the, the, the facts that if the Fed did do it, then they're also causing a, uh, a change in the way that unemployment is, uh, is recorded. It may have been recorded one way in the 1950s in terms of U3 and U6 and the, un, uh, the participation rate. But today, uh, how, that, how those numbers are, are massaged are, are, are different because of the fact that we have so many people who are, are long-term unemployed because the Fed was causing the people who were at the bottom of the totem pole to get out of the labor force repeatedly as the cycle uh, came to its end. That's going to create, um, you know, differences. Yeah, very well said. And I've gotten so into this conversation, I have the foggiest idea how long we've been talking for. <laughs> yeah, or um, you know what the what the ultimate uh, uh, relationship is to uh, to markets at, at this point. Yeah, I mean, I think that the the relation, you know, going back to the whole market discussion that that led this off. Really, um, at the end of the day, the markets are completely divorced from that conversation. I think that's where we were. That's where we were before we got into this. That is. And I keep saying that is. I love that. I keep saying that's that. on the drinking game list. You know, it's I mean, not just I'm that is. Stop it's, doing that. It's that is that. That's your right. signature phrase right there. The uh, we what we were saying before is that the economy is say, is telling you one thing. Uh, the asset markets are telling you something else, and they're completely divorced. At some point in time, they're going to be aligned. That's my fervent belief, and I believe that we are at a point where we could see that alignment come into greater uh, congruence very shortly. Just as you said it, I happen to flip tabs here looking at the uh, S&P chart, new 52-week high today. Yep, that, that is the case. <laughs> we shall see. Uh, hopefully, the markets are prescient. And what they're seeing is that a vaccine is coming, that the fiscal cliff will be over soon, that the economy will continue to rally. But if it's not that case, I believe we're going to have a reckoning. Maybe I'd be more optimistic if my apartment didn't blow up yesterday, like it was like six inches away from an explosion. So maybe that's got something to do with my jaundiced eye that I view these markets through. So, Ash, as you go into the weekend and you uh, think about uh, something optimistic uh, or how you want to wrap this particular uh, RVDB, what, uh, what can you tell our audience? O other than that we need to hear from them in the comments uh, about uh, what they want to hear for the next content campaign. Yeah, I'm going to double down on that. Jump in the comments. Tell us what you want to hear for the next content campaign. Obviously, we take uh, your input uh, and we think about it a lot as we process these markets and we process this news flow. Excellent. Good way to end it. Uh, I hope that you do better in your knowledge of soccer going forward. We'll keep working on you. Don't bet on it. <laughs> Good to talk to you. See you soon, Ed. You bet.
You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.